Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to another edition of the Penscast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. As always, alongside me, co-host of the Penscast Mailbag, contributing writer at Pensburg.com, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, we're back in the saddle for another uh, hefty mailbag this week. How have you been since last week's mailbag? I can't complain too much. It's been some decent weather here in uh, the west side of the state, so been enjoying some of that. But other than that, ready to get back into it and uh, get the ball rolling here on this uh, new week. Alrighty, uh, for first-time listeners of the Pensacast Mailbag, if you're interested and want to contribute to the Mailbag, you can do so by following our Twitter account at PenguinsFFSN. And while you're on Twitter, if you'd like to follow Fans First Sports Network as well, you can follow Fans First Sports Network on Twitter at FansFirstSN. Every week we will send out a mailbag tweet from the Skating Penguin Network Twitter account asking for your participation in this mailbag episode, Robbie, as always, you'll get question number one. We have 11 questions this week from a variety of different question askers. Question number one comes from Eric with a good question here. Why doesn't Sidney Crosby kill more penalties like the other great players of the past? Is he just uncomfortable in killing penalties or, or what other explanation could there be for why he is not on the penalty kill more often? So... I think what kind of gets lost in the shuffle when we talk about this is that the game has become so much more specialized. Uh, and you have guys that are out there specifically uh, to, to kill penalties. They're on the roster to kill penalties. And to kind of take all that weight off of uh, your your scorers. One, you're blocking more shots. You don't have to worry about injuries as much. Um, it gives them guys a break. Uh, and you do see Crosby out there occasionally killing penalties, especially in certain situations. Uh, he's not a um, uh, he's not completely uh, immune to getting off the the penalty killing duty. But I think for uh, what the Penguins need, um, he doesn't really need to be out there killing penalties. And I mean, we've seen in the past few years how the Penguins have dealt with injuries. Anytime you can get Crosby or Malkin uh, kind of off the off the off the ice and kind of away from injuries, especially in a situation where pertains more to injuries, blocking shots, you're a little more physical. Um, it's again, it's a little more tiring because you're pretty much on the def- the defense the entire time. So yeah, anything that can kind of just kind of limit their usage as much as possible in a situation that doesn't necessarily uh, require it, I think that's what you do. And again, the game is so specialized anymore. And I just looked it up here real quick. Crosby does have four career shorthanded goals. His last one coming during the COVID-shortened 2020-21 NHL season. So uh, he does have some shooting goals, but for the most part, 
no need to really throw him out there to to risk injury more than necessary. So I think overall he's just that's not his specialty. The game's so much more specialized than it was twenty years, twenty, thirty years ago, uh, when maybe some of your uh superstars uh killed a little bit more penalties, but I, I just think it's more of a um, it's nothing a fear on his part. It's just more or less that it's not his bread and butter. It has a greater risk of injury and just gives them a little bit more of a break uh, rather than having one more responsibility heaped on them. But again, you do see him in certain situations uh, on the penalty kill when Mike Sullivan needs it necessary, but overall just not really a top priority uh, for uh, utilizing Sidney Crosby on the ice. Question number two comes from frequent mailback participant Brian, uh, who has a few questions in again this week, and we thank Brian for that. So question number two uh, goes to Garrett. Thoughts on players refusing to wear uh, the NHL Pride jerseys for Pride Night games? Uh, Brian Burke's comments sum up how I feel about the situation. Brian Burke may be a curmudgeon, and he may be very old school when it comes to his hockey decisions, but he has always been very upfront, very outspoken, and very forward-thinking when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community. I'd like to use this as an opportunity for anyone that's listening to this podcast and uh, anyone who has listened in the past or anyone who finds this in the future that anyone who is anyone, no matter what kind of person you are, you are welcome here in this community. It costs zero dollars. It costs zero energy to be a good person. And at the risk of not going off on a, a supercharged, politically infused tangent, I understand some players, and it's funny as we just started to hit the record button, Ilya Labushkin, I think, has become now the latest player to not want to don the pride uniform, warm-up uniform, uh, because of a Russian law that was signed by Vladimir Putin, effectively banning or do it trying to limit LGBTQ plus those kinds of things. Can't remember exactly what it was, but basically Vladimir Putin and the rest of Russia is essentially anti LGBTQ. That may come as no surprise, but for the people here in the States that want to make this an issue and want to always say, well, where's my pride night? Where's white person pride night? This has absolutely nothing to do with the game of hockey itself. It's not like on Pride Night, you're, when you score a goal on Pride Night, you're awarded two goals instead of one. All they are doing is maybe a couple of different graphics. The social media team is uh, maybe talking more frequently about LGBTQ issues that affect that community uh, that has become very marginalized over the last however many years with the uh, recently supercharged political discourse in this country. This LGBTQ Pride Night, I'll say it again at the start, and I'll say it again now, it costs nothing to be a good person. It costs nothing to be as welcoming and as kind as possible. It costs zero dollars. It costs no energy to do that, to put forth and be a good person. And I will reiterate again that anyone from the LGBTQ plus community is welcome to this community that we have created, welcome Always welcome to listen to these podcasts because it is my personal belief that these marginalized groups, including the LGBTQ plus community, are going to continue to unfortunately be marginalized into the future with uh, especially some of the laws that are being passed in some of some of the states here in the United States. With that being said, 
I, I find it as sort of a step backwards for the NHL when they want to continue to parade about hockey is for everyone. Well, it most certainly isn't for everyone. I think now players are going to use the religious belief card. It's against my religious belief, especially the Stahl brothers, because I believe one of the Stahl brothers, I know Mark and Eric play for the Florida Panthers. One of them, as they both said recently, that it was against their religious beliefs to to don the pride warm-up uniforms. One of them was photographed in the warm-up uniform when they were with a previous team just a couple of years ago. So there is photographic and video proof of the Stahl brothers basically going back on their commitment saying hockey is for everyone. I think it's a step backward for the NHL. Regarding Russian players and their fear for retaliation against Vladimir Putin and the Russian government, uh, I can't speak incredibly directly to that as I have no ties to Russia. I know no Russian people directly in Russia who may face that kind of retaliation from Putin and his government. But all in all, I think it's an incredibly negative step backwards for inclusivity across not just the National Hockey League, but the rest of professional sports leagues around North America. It costs nothing to be a good person. It costs nothing to be a welcoming, more inclusive person. For those listening to this podcast that may be a member of the LGBTQ community, uh, you are always welcome in this community. You're always welcome to ask questions. And I will always, always, as essentially the creator of this kind of endeavor, along with Robbie, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I will always ensure that LGBTQ plus members of that community are are always fought for and always trying to be represented because they continue to be marginalized. I, I'll leave it at there. I think it's a step backwards. Hopefully the NHL gets their stuff together. Hopefully we can become a more inclusive society moving forward. Question number three also comes from Brian. I think it was the Athletics Rob Rossi who spoke on it on Twitter. But how many more points would Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux have if two-line passes were eliminated during their time? So before I answer this question, I'll just jump in and kind of uh, I just want to agree with everything that Gary sure, just said about um, being an inclusive community here at the Penn's cast uh, and Pennsburg uh, as a whole, our former uh, uh, home over there. Yeah, obviously we are all uh, inclusive and welcoming to people of all backgrounds uh, here. Feel free to at any point ask any question you want. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, uh, what you believe in. We are going to uh, give you the space to participate and be a member of this community. So, um, yeah, Garrett pretty much answered that question about, about exactly as I could or I would have as well. Um, uh, disappointing on the NHL's part that uh, it's come to this. And, um, and I can't again, I can't speak for the Russians or anything like that. But, um, yeah, let's hope that something happens this offseason that um, can be settled with this. Obviously, if 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 Brian Burke's on the right side, then you probably should be on the right side as well. Um, a guy, if, I mean, Brian Burke's um, been around the NHL and hockey for longer than I probably most people listening to this podcast have been alive. So um, if he gets it, um, everyone else should get it. And uh, it's just disappointing that it's kind of come to this situation, this uh, where we're at today with what's going on with the pride jerseys uh, this uh, this season. But I will say that the Panthers, uh, before their Pride game, had a very nice post on Twitter um, uh, exclaiming um, 
their excitement to wear the jerseys as a team. And uh, the Buffalo Sabres as well had a very uh, a nice uh, uh, post as well, kind of um, reaching out and um, look, uh, promoting uh, their event uh, for their game. And the, the Sabres have been a leader in this area, uh, teaming up actually with the Penguins the past a uh, few seasons before this one for like a kind of a co-hosted uh, pride night game. And they've all done a really good job. And um, the Penguins kind of theirs was back in December, uh, kind of got it. They, they had theirs before everything kind of blew up with this. And Evgeny Malkin, obviously the Penguins most prominent Russian player uh, wore the Jersey. And it was after as many reported uh, his decision to wear the Jersey was after the, uh, Russian law had been signed in and Evgeny Malkin is obviously um, still alive and well for as far as we know. Um, Saturday night kind of showed that he was very alive and well, I guess, but um, no, I mean, this community is going to be welcoming to um, everybody regardless of background and belief. So um, yeah, if you, this is a safe space for everyone and I hope everybody enjoys um this podcast and feels welcome. And if you don't, please reach out to us at any point and we will um, obviously address that uh, between ourselves and then uh, in the greater community if necessary. But uh, with that said, I will uh, answer the question here. Just a um, uh, little freshener. Uh, it was a Rob Rossi was talking on Twitter about how many more points Wayne Gretzky and Mario Mew would have if the two line pass uh, were eliminated during their careers. Uh, the two line pass uh, for those of you who there are listeners out there that are, uh, didn't become fans until after the uh, lost season lockout in 0405, the Penguins or the NHL had a, a role basically that you had to be between if the pass was coming from behind your blue line, your own blue line, you couldn't be over the red line, such as it was called a two line offside pass. Essentially, it was like a hybrid offsides kind of deal. And yeah, you didn't have necessarily the long breakaways. If you're a player coming out of the box, depending on where they came out of the box, they may have had to backtrack a little bit. Um, and in an effort to boost scoring after the lockout, uh, they got rid of the two-line roll, and thankfully they never brought it back. And I think that it was one of those things where it was such tradition that it just was never even really discussed uh, for the most part. And Back in the old days here in Johnstown, uh, the old days, I'm talking like I'm like the 70s or something like that. I mean, we used to go to ECHL games in the 90s for the Johnstown Chiefs. Um, and I believe the ECHL got rid of the two-line pass rule uh, kind of before the NHL did. And it was weird the first time seeing it without the rule because you all just expected to be called and play stopped and face off back and uh, your own zone and it was just such a and now you wouldn't even imagine like you wouldn't even imagine um having the role in place so again a lot of people a lot of newer fans have no idea about the two-line offsides pass role and it definitely would have uh, changed the way that guys like Gretzky Mario all those legends uh played because it really limited your ability to break up ice uh for breakaways for odd man rushes um, however it was, you had to time stuff a little bit differently and it's kind of like the same, like imagine numbers, if there was no offsides at all, 
um, you would just be able to have a guy out there cherry picking um, in the zone. And people kind of uh, one of the worries when the two line pass rule was removed was there just going to be a cherry picking guy down there at the other blue line? Well, that obviously the skill was too good that you wouldn't put yourself uh, five on four just because uh, just for an, the chance that you would get the puck and get and, and get an opening to a guy cherry picking down there. Obviously never happened. Um, never came to fruition, and um, that was kind of why the role existed to begin with, and uh, they just did away with it, and uh, it's great now. I mean, it's really hard to even kind of fathom what the game would look like today with a two-line two line role uh, still in play, but yeah, Mario and Wayne would have a, a lot. Yeah, the numbers would be uh, pretty extravagant, and not necessarily just for the goals on their part, but for the assist, the assist as well, because you could just have a guy breaking up ice, uh, one of the great goal scorers that they played with, whereas you didn't have that opportunity when they were playing. So it definitely uh, hindered their point totals a little bit. But I think that if you grew up with the two-line pass roll like I did, uh, it's much more refreshing to see it gone now. Uh, question number four from Brian. Uh, what athlete in any sport would you want to give a do-over for their career? Um, he, and Brian gives an example. He'll stick with hockey and say Mario, which I believe is probably a, a common sentiment among Penguins fans. But Garrett, I'll give you um, the go ahead here. So Mario, I, I think by default, yeah, I'd agree with Brian and say Mario for hockey. But I don't know why. I was putting this outline together uh, Sunday night. And the first person, maybe it was because I was looking, uh, I was went down a rabbit hole of NFL highlights from like the last 10 years or so. The first person that came to mind, and it might be surprising, but it was Andrew Luck, the former Indianapolis Colts quarterback. And I don't know why my brain immediately went to Andrew Luck, because he really had a decent career for the six or seven years he did play. If if the Colts would have given Andrew Luck a more functioning offensive line and Luck wasn't always running for his life and basically constantly suffering internal organ injuries like the spleen and all, all of this crazy stuff. I, I think Andrew Luck would still be probably playing football. Uh, I don't know if it would be with the Colts, but had the Colts really gone, and it's funny now because the Colts are looked at as one of the teams with one of the better offensive lines in football, and it just so happened that Luck was gone by the time that offensive line had come into place now. But Andrew Luck... Uh, was for some reason just the first athlete that came to my mind. Had he not retired in his prime, uh, I, I think Andrew Luck would have probably crushed a, many, 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 many more uh, NFL records, Indianapolis Colt records. Um, maybe it's recency bias on my part because I'm so I'm I'm younger than Robbie, and I may be younger than a lot of people listening to this podcast, but having a fully healthy Andrew Luck from when he was drafted in 2012. I mean, this is 2023. He'd only be in the league for, what, 10, 11 years now. So if he would still be playing, that is. If he were still playing, he would only be a 10 or 11-year veteran. So he uh, would be on the back half of his career for sure. But I, I, knowing what I knew when watching Andrew Luck and having him in fantasy football as well certainly helped me before he retired. But um, it would be interesting for me to see Andrew Luck, but you, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of athletes you could go in any major sport and, and, and pick whatever your favorite is. But for me, 
it would be Andrew Luck to see what he could do with a, uh, a, a healthier Andrew Luck behind a more stable offensive line to see what kind of records he would have been able to shatter if, uh, if his mind and body were still in the game. Question number five comes from Brian. Robbie, how do you feel about reverse hits? They aren't dirty, according to the rule book. However, they do blindside the opponent. I think there's a lot of gray area with reverse hits because if they're executed properly, there's really nothing that that that's that bad about them. They're kind. Of, I mean, blindside an opponent. I don't necessarily agree that they blindside an opponent. They might take them by surprise. Uh, blindside is more. I think when you're just straight up not looking, um, like you're coming across the ice and you're kind of uh, looking for a pass and a guy just comes from out of nowhere and just takes you out. Again, those can be legal as well, but I think there's definitely a gray area with reverse hits. You don't see them very often because they're not easy uh, to pull off and they can kind of leave you vulnerable as well. Um, But I mean, yeah, when executed great, uh, when executed well, yeah, they're clean, they're fine. I don't really have a problem with it. Again, I, gu- I guess that can be said for any hit, though. If it's a clean hit, then I'm fine with it. But if it's dirty, yeah, you want to see that removed from the game. Just penalizing someone for a hit that takes somebody by surprise, don't know if I can really get on, on board with that because, I mean, if we're going like that, what are you going to put up a bit? Are you going to start yelling at your opponent before you hit them to let them know that you're coming? I don't really, yeah, think that that's a something that's possible to do. You can't really, you can't, you can't really uh, penalize that. And you can't really uh, enforce that. There'd be no way unless you want the refs to have even more subjectivity than they already have. And they don't call, they don't call the penalties uh, on hits that should be called on anyway. So uh, what's, what's the point of giving them more of a uh, more leeway to not call anything. It just looks bad. And uh, yeah, they, they're hard. They hit hard uh, and they will catch you by surprise, but I don't see anything inherently wrong with them. Uh, question number six again from Brian. Are, are we really shocked that Sid is still making history at 35 years old? Uh, the first player to record a 30-goal season at the age of 18 and 35. Uh, Sid still got some of that kid on him. It's weird. Uh, you don't really you don't hear many, maybe some national commentators call him the kid, but uh, you certainly don't hear the kid uh, too, mu- too much around Pittsburgh anymore. If anything, there, there's even more, a touch more gray in uh, some of the facial hair and some of the hair on top of Crosby's head. But Brian mentioned it. So the first player to record a 30-goal season at age 18 and age 35. And there were a couple of other milestones that Sidney Crosby recently accomplished. Uh, in the 3-2 to two road loss against the Dallas Stars just a couple of days ago, Sidney Crosby scored his first goal in Dallas and by doing so, he has now staked his claim, another claim to fame, scoring a goal in all of the NHL's active opposing markets, uh, with obviously the Vegas Golden Knights and the Seattle Kraken being the two most recent markets to for Crosby to score a goal in. But now he has done it in all other 31 opposing arenas. Additionally, Sidney Crosby recently clinched the 18th straight season uh, with a point, having a point per game season in NHL history. Only Wayne Gretzky with 19 seasons has more point per game seasons than Sidney Crosby. Meaning if Crosby plays two more seasons and eclipses that mark again, he owns that record as well. So 
uh, a lot of praise heaped on Sidney Crosby in this question, but no, I'm not shocked. I, I can't be shocked. Uh, Sidney Crosby is having a miraculous season this season at age 35. Uh, I don't believe he's missed a game. Same with Evgeny Malkin. I don't believe Malkin has missed a game either. So talking about durability and longevity for both of these players, uh, even at their age 36 and age 35 seasons is, is incredible. And with the Penguins sort of on an upswing right now as, as they turn their focus to the Detroit Red Wings up next and we're into the real home stretch of the NHL season here, the last remaining games of the regular season, uh, all lies are going to be on Crosby and the Penguins to see if they can get the momentum. The momentum is on their side to clinch a playoff spot once again after ousting the Washington Capitals on Saturday night in a 4-3 to victory. But that Sidney Crosby's leadership, Sidney Crosby's greatness from day one up until now, how consistent he has been, because you've seen it especially recently with players like Alexis Lafreniere, and uh, you, you're probably going to see that same pressure put on Connor Bedard. Will Bedard, like Crosby and uh, Connor McDavid, come in out of the gates on fire? And will he continue to remain a model of consistency as Sidney Crosby has done throughout his miraculous career. Hats off to Sid, stick taps to Sid the kid once again. And uh, once again, don't take Crosby and Malkin for granted because we're, we're continuing to see, even at age 35, the greatness on constant display with Sidney Crosby. Question number seven, Robbie. Brian wants to know your opinion, your thoughts. Who is the biggest pest in NHL history? When I uh, read this question, <laughs> the first name that came to mind was Sean Avery, uh, former New York Rangers um, pest. I wouldn't really call him an enforcer, but the pest definitely described uh, his career in the NHL. And yeah, that was a name that immediately, I didn't even have to look any names up. That was the name that immediately popped into my mind. Just an absolute, just pain if you were a fan of the opposing team and you can ask, I'm not even the fan, the players as well, just an absolute miserable person to play against. And overall, not necessarily a great human either uh, from some of the stuff that was said, but Sean Avery came to my mind immediately. Uh, Maxine uh, Lapierre, uh, who played for the Penguins for, I think a year or two was an absolute menace in his heyday uh, Alex Burroughs was another one. He had a little more scoring talent. He could really fill the net when he was on, uh, but just an absolutely miserable person uh, to play against. He was a, um, uh, I think he licked, no, he bit someone at one point. Uh, another name uh, that played for the Penguins for a little bit was Steve Downey, uh, an absolute pest and uh, a miserable person to play against. But again, one of those guys that um, you kind of wanted on your team if if he was on your team, you liked him. If not, you absolutely despise him. And one, I think that I think everybody would agree with, uh, uh, Brad Marchand is an absolute pest. Talented is all get, but an absolute menace. Uh, I mean, the whole licking stuff from a couple years ago, everybody was uh, definitely remembers that. Uh, just pretty much the definition of a pest. It's just he has the ability to fill the net, and he's an incredibly incredible offensive force. Just an absolute miserable person to play against. So it just does not seem fun. And 
Uh, we talked about reverse hits earlier. He would pull some of them off, uh, low bridge hits. Um, so definitely a dirty side, but uh, I'd say that the guys like Avery and Marshan are two that really stick in my head. Uh, Downey and Lafayette as well. And throughout history, there's a ton that you could go through. But I mean, for the most re- for the more recent fans, those are names that absolutely stick out in your mind. Uh, question number eight again from uh, Brian. Uh, we have how many would would be saying the draft is rigged, the NHL draft is rigged, if the Penguins miss the playoffs and somehow ended up with the top five pick? Um, how many people's minds would explode if they got the top pick for Connor Bedard? This is so funny because I would just love it not from a fan perspective, from a Penguins fan perspective, getting as as close to a surefire can't miss prospect as Connor Bedard is, essentially going from Mario Lemieux slash Yarmir Yager to Sidney Crosby to Connor Bedard, it would it would irritate thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And I would be all here for it, just for the chaos aspect of it. Not leave the leave the potential future of the Penguins aside for now, just for the sheer chaos of Bettman or whomever pulling that lottery ball with the Penguins logo on it. I would absolutely love it. Uh, and you're right; they would be saying, and they're still sta- saying to this day that the 05 lottery was rigged for the Penguins to keep the Penguins in Pittsburgh and not in Kansas City or up in Ontario. So to have that happen again oh, would be absolute chef's kiss. I would absolutely love it. I don't think now where the Penguins are right now after the game against uh, Washington over the weekend, it doesn't look like they're heading for the lottery. Stranger things have happened. They could collapse and lose the remaining seven or eight games they have and then go straight into the lottery. Uh, then all bets are off. But we can dream until it's official and they are in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh boy, if they got Bedard, I would absolutely love it. I would love it for the chaos. I would love it for the future potential. It would be beautiful. Question number nine comes from Brian. Robbie, what's the greatest line in hockey history? And how would that greatest line in hockey history stack up against the Penguins' greatest line in franchise history? So... Again, did some research on this because obviously a lot of great lines uh, throughout NHL history. And the kind of the consensus uh, greatest line was what was nicknamed the production line in Detroit. And that line consisted of Sid Abel, Ted Lindsay, and Gordie Howe. Three Hall of Famers. Ted Lindsay has an award named after him. Uh, Abel and Howe. Howe obviously uh, is going to be in discussions of top five greatest players ever. Um played for what i mean what like six thousand years or something like that that was the kind of the consensus best line uh in nhl history from uh, all the lists i read and kind of the opinions i read and yeah so it was tough to top that so and then i looked at what was the kind of the consensus best line uh in penguins history and a lot of great players in penguins history um and for a couple years uh, you had a line of uh, Crosby or not Crosby, Mario, Yager, and Francis. It wasn't like a permanent thing because Francis and Lemieux were both centers. Uh, so the line they kind of gave the nod to was uh, the line of Kevin Stevens, Yammer Yager, and Mario Lemieux. Yager and Lemieux speak for themselves. All is going to be in, and Lemieux is going to be in the conversation for greatest ever. 
Yager is what number two in points scored in his career. Uh, so yeah, he's in that uh, going to be in that top five conversation always as well. Uh, Stevens not a Hall of Famer, but an obvious an obvious legend in Pittsburgh for the longest time. He might still be. I don't think he is anymore. He was the top goal scoring uh, left winger in history. At least yeah, something like that. Maybe American uh, left winger. I can't remember the exact specifications on that, but that line obviously two Stanley Cups. Uh, a legendary line. Um, it doesn't quite match up to what that Hal line uh, in in Detroit was, but I think overall, obviously, just an absolutely immense line the Penguins put together there of future Hall of Famers or current Hall of Famers with their future Hall of Famers at the time. The Stanley Cups, the numbers, just so much greatness on that line that okay, maybe it's not the production line of Detroit, but I mean, in the history of the lines in the NHL, you're talking about a top top two or three all-time line uh, with those three guys. So, yeah, it's right up there with the best, and um, it all pretty much I cannot imagine anything on that would ever change. Uh, question number 10. Uh, these kind of came in a little bit later, but I, another person that we see in the mailback um, quite often, uh, Brendan, uh, who do you want if the Penguins make the playoffs in the first round? Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes or Boston Bruins? To be honest, I'm not scared of either, um, but I'm sure I'm the minority on that. Brendan, I'll tell you straight out, you are the minority on that because if I had to pick between, I guess I'd pick Carolina uh, in the first round. I am terrified of what Boston may or may not do because what a failure it would be for Boston to have all of this unprecedented regular season success not to win the championship at the end of the season. I mean, both of these teams are buzzsaws. And if I'm being blunt, uh, both of these teams, whether it be Carolina or Boston, would probably steamroll the Penguins in five games. Uh, Unless the Penguins play absolute shutdown defense and they're winning games two to one, three to two, four to three, maybe. And you can, those games can be won in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, I, I don't like the Penguins' chances against either of these two teams. But the familiarity aspect between Carolina having them in the division, maybe that, that's beneficial for the Penguins seeing Carolina so frequently within the Metropolitan, whereas Boston is in the uh, the Atlantic. So I'll, I'll go Carolina on the basis of that argument. However, I would, I would not want either of these teams. And... Unfortunately, given the Penguins' flaws, and they are many, they are great, and we've talked about them at length throughout this season, if the Penguins, if they do make the postseason, I hope I can come on here and eat crow and say I was wrong, but I don't like their chances this year just because of their lack of depth, their shaky goaltending, which recently got even shakier, uh, but hopefully we go into the offseason with a lot more confidence heading into next season. Carolina or Boston, uh, I will take neither in the first round and uh, hope that we could stay far away from either of those two teams if uh, the Penguins do make it in. Question number 11. The final question in this week's Penscast mailbag comes from Brian. This season and the moves that current general manager Ron Hextall have decided to make have Brian wondering where the Penguins would be if ownership would have known that former general manager Jim Rutherford was going to rage quit and the Penguins, in turn, could have promoted Billy Guerin to the general manager position. 
Brian says, look at what Garen has accomplished in Minneapolis with the Wild with how cap-strapped the Wild are there. Yeah, definitely uh, something it's completely fair to wonder about uh, in question because, again, that whole entire thing blindsided everyone when uh, Jim Rutherford uh, suddenly stepped away from from his role as general manager with the Penguins back in what was that, um, over two years now. And at that point, so much had changed with the Penguins' front office that if they would have known earlier, uh, maybe they could have made uh, the proper moves to kind of insulate themselves and prepare themselves for what was next. And I definitely think Billy Guerin would have been a prime candidate, if not the candidate, to take over the front office if he still would have been uh, in Pittsburgh, but he had already taken the wild job at that point and was obviously not going to just uh, turn around and uh, head back to Pittsburgh. And uh, so much kind of had fallen apart with the front office at that point that when uh, Jim Rutherford did, as uh, Brian put it, kind of rage quit on the franchise, suddenly that they were kind of left uh, with their pants around their ankles and not really sure where to go and having to run a an entire general manager search in the early stages middle part of a shortened season with COVID still uh, causing disruptions and maybe they even should have stuck with uh, Patrick Alvine who was the assistant general manager uh, for a time uh, in the interim between Jim Rutherford and Ron Hextall so I think Billy G definitely would have been a prime candidate and I think that Again, remember when Jim Rutherford came to Pittsburgh, he said, I'm going to do this for three or four years and move on. And I think the Penguins kind of maybe naively took him at his word. And it kind of caught it cost him a little bit that um, they thought that, OK, he'll be here for a kind of a bridge period. We'll start looking at what we have around. Billy G's here. Uh, Billy G was obviously being primed for uh, a general manager role, a front office role. It's what he wanted. It's what he was uh, getting experience for. And I think that maybe even he thought a little bit that that was going to be his job once Jim Rutherford stepped away after that handful of years, but Rutherford never did. He hung around. It cost them Billy G going to Minnesota. Um, some other stuff kind of happened as well with some other uh, front office people that left the, left the franchise at that point. And yeah, you never know what could have happened. And it's very well that Billy Guerin could be the Penguins general manager today if they would have acted faster or Rutherford may be giving them some warning that he was stepping down, but I guess it's uh, everything's easier in retrospect. So uh, it is what it is at this point, and it looks like we'll be kind of starting with a fresh slate this offseason, and uh, we'll see where that where that goes. Hopefully it goes uh, a little bit better than uh, what we are now, but at least that they will be prepared this time. And again, another thing to look at is they're going to have uh, a new group of people picking the general manager this time around. It won't be uh, the the old guard. It will be the new the new guys in town with uh, Fenway sports group. So yeah, we'll see how that all plays out, but um, definitely a fair question to ask. And I definitely think it it does play out differently. If they have some prior warning that uh, Jim Rutherford was going to step down uh, as general manager. That will do it for this week's pens cast mailbag episode. Again, one last time before we get out of here. Uh, if you're interested in what you're listening to, if you if you like the mailbag style episodes, uh, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at uh, the Skating Penguin Network. Follow us on Twitter again at Penguins 
FFSN and follow Fans First Sports Network as well as we continue to grow this brand new podcasting endeavor that we started uh, so many weeks ago. Follow Fans First Sports Network on Twitter as well at Fans First SN. But until next time, I have been Gareth Bahanna for Robbie Noggle. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Penscast Mailbag, and we will see all of you again this time next week.